Okay. Hello, climate change. I used to have a tagline. Waking up and taking action one conversation at a time. Right. Nice. Yes. Um, I'm here today with Phoebe Godfrey. You've been here before, but just say a little bit about yourself so people can get to know you. Uh, I am a sociologist at UConn. I have a, a PhD in sociology. I'm also an artist and a uh, activist in Willimantic. And my activism takes its place in terms of uh, establishing a nonprofit called Click with my with my wife. And I'm very committed to the practice of social justice, sustainability, and really putting in motion things that I believe need to happen if we are uh, not to be doom and gloomy, but if we are to survive as a species on, on this beautiful planet. Right. And just to fill in some things for people who are not local, UConn is short for University of Connecticut. We are in Connecticut. Um, and Willimantic is a town 20 minutes or so from where I live. Um, how, how big is that town? Uh, it's 20,000 in, in the actual city part. Willimantic yeah. actually doesn't exist. It's it, it, The area is Wyndham, or the town is the town of Wyndham. But like a lot of New England towns, there is like there's stores in Mansfield, and or there's Willimantic and Wyndham, and they, they are separate, right. but they're actually... Uh, not legally separate in, right. the, in that. And, and I, I say Willimantic reminds me of uh, many little towns or, or city centers in New England where there used to be a lot of factory like uh, robustness and, and downtown is kind of trying to reinvent itself in a sense because no longer is, is it the place where everyone's going for their general commerce needs. There's what Walmart, you know. Yeah. Few miles away, and Click stands for commercially licensed cooperative kitchen, cooperative which is kitchen, a nonprofit. Right. And Click is based on what you were just saying, Amy, that there are not a lot of jobs, mm -hmm. and so we're looking to the food system and saying, well, people eat all the time, mm -hmm. and if they could source their food more locally, if they could process food locally, and so Click has two commercially licensed kitchens where entrepreneurs can start food businesses. And um, also we're getting into sort of farm to school processing. And, you know, a lot of it is this emphasis on local, you know, why truck in tomatoes from California when right. we have plenty here in Connecticut. The problem with the ones here in Connecticut is that they don't get processed. So right. their lifespan is a week at most uh, unless you can them or freeze them in your own house. But we're looking at, at a larger question of, you know, can we can and, and freeze uh, at a commercially licensed kitchen and therefore have a shelf-stable product that's sold at the Willimantic Food Co-op or that wow. goes to one of the schools um, and, you know, brings more awareness that, you know, if we don't have local food, we really don't have sustainability. Right. right? And yeah. this infrastructure is so, if you're looking ahead at all and you're realizing California is running out of water and that's yeah. where we're getting most of our produce mm -hmm. um, and we're on the other side of the country, then you you very quickly realize like we need to be actually thinking about how in this part of the country where my understanding is the changes that are coming and, cha and already starting around climate change um, are not going to impact us in the same way in the sense of losing our water and um, losing our seasons, um, you know, it looks like we're not going to turn into a desert right soon. <laughs> yeah. No. So part of my re recent just just beginning to wrap my brain around all this is just experimenting with, well, how much food can I grow just mm -hmm. for, in my own yard and without any kind of commercial aspirations for it? But but um, but taking places that used to be lawn and turning them into beds. Yeah, and that's certainly one of the pieces is, you know, as individuals, what can we do? What can I do in my yard? What can I do, you know, in, in my consumer choices? And, a, you know, a lot of the, you know, 10 things you can do to save the planet lists are all very individualized. And they're usually based around consumer choices. And and one of the things that, you know, Click is trying to, to put in motion is, well, what can we do? 
do, right, as a community and, and not just, you know, the wealthy whites who can get solar panels and say, well, I, I'm set, you know, I don't, I'm off the grid and, you know, to hell with the rest of you. Right. Um, and it's like, so, you know, looking at these problems as a community and, you know, and how do they link with questions of racism and poverty and inequality. And, and so, you know, it's not just enough to say, well, we're going to, you know, provide, you know, for our local farmers is like, well, why are all our farmers in the area white? Mm-hmm. Like, how can we, you know, there's so many immigrants who come with incredible agricultural skills um, who end up just being farm workers, not mm-hmm. farm owners. Right. Um, and so, you know, uh, Click is, you know, obviously not capable of answering all these questions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as long as we're asking those questions, as long as we're um, saying, you know, what what could this area look like in 50 years? years if if we had more food processing if we train um young latino or african-american kids and get them excited uh, about food there's a great ted talk by a guy called ron finley who considers himself a guerrilla farmer in la and he you know and he has this statement he says you know if kids grow kale kids will eat kale yeah. you know and he he grows food on his sidewalk and and he's very much into this idea that you know how do you make farming cool right well you make it cool by you know involving all aspects of the community right so that it's not just a thing that whites do or women do or you know middle class people do it's like no this is this is about you know communities about your identities yeah. about who you are as uh, as a member of of the human race, that's um, uh, a great talk, and I will link it on uh, the show notes. And so, just while I'm thinking of it, hellocc.info is the website for this podcast. If you're not subscribed, you can subscribe there, or you can find the the notes. So I'll definitely link that talk. It is a good one. Um, I'm noticing because I I um, I've often felt some somewhat stagnant, sort of a discouragement around. Like I live in this very rural environment. It's it is like I said, only twenty minutes away from Willimantic, but that twenty minutes is huge. It's not mm-hmm. walking across to the neighbor and and feeling that sense of community. And I've struggled with wanting to be um, more involved there. And what I've what has been happening for me lately, just taking on this experiment in my own yard, is that I'm my you know my neighbor drifts over to see what i'm doing and is excited about it and you know i've got too many tomato plants so i'll go offer one to a neighbor that i haven't met yet and i'm starting to realize that that when you sort of invest your roots in where you're planted you start to branch out right from there yeah it's been kind of a fun realization yeah one of the sayings that we have at click is you know we all meet in the earth i mean there you know however distinct you are based on race or class or gender or sexuality you know you have to eat um and that food has come from some soil somewhere and it may have been highly processed highly chemical soil but you know if you can reclaim that you will meet people right and you'll meet people who you would not it's kind of like people with dogs Mm -hmm. right you know meet each other because oh you've got a you know a hound and i've got a pug and you know exactly you know and you have you know and (laughs) so you know we're looking for avenues of communication that um, if you're standing in the supermarket, you don't have. In fact, uh, I was watching a, a documentary about, you know, people who are choosing to go back to growing their own food instead of, you know, high paying corporate careers. Mm-hmm. And um, it's called A Small Good Thing. And we showed it this uh, past February in, in Willimantic at the Capitol Theater. And and um, in the film, they refer to a study that was done by sociologists ver- at comparing a farmer's market to a supermarket and, and how many more conversations people had. And, and it was 10 times more at the farmer's market, right? Because, you know, you're talking to the farmer, you know, where did you grow that? How did it, you know, you're talking to this one who is often tasting. And, you know, and that's what people are missing in a, in a lot of our, you know, sort of very highly mechanized, modernized mm-hmm. lives that, you know, we don't just spend 10 minutes yeah. talking. And, you know, anybody who goes to Europe comes back, like, blown away. They spend three hours sitting at a cafe. Like, you know, a friend just came back from Italy. She's like, it was a cafe, a butcher, a cheese shop, a cafe, a butcher, a cheese shop, a cafe, a bakery, a cafe, yeah. you know. And I remember when Cafe Mantic opened in Willimantic, and it was like, finally, we have a cafe. 
you know, the idea that we have a, a, a town of 20,000 people and the only choice is Dunkin' Donuts, right? right? You know, and and so kind of there. there's yeah. a there's a, a, a social poverty, a community right. poverty. And, and, you know, I just went to Third Thursday last night. And for those of it's you who don't know, it, it's a street festival and we have it um, from May to October in Willimantic. They close the main street and there are about five bands and vendors and food and uh, and it's it's the most um, engaged democratic space that that I have ever witnessed, and it it just creates such a wonderful feeling that you know we are all here on the street, you know, sharing food, sharing music, and um, we need more of that. That's yeah, and and oh, so many good things you're saying, and one thought that occurs to me. And, and, you know, it's fine if this isn't a direction you want to go, but yeah. I'm kind of curious to know something about you and how you came to, I mean, I, I think it's a lot of people are raised with the poverty of not imagination, just a, a priority. Like mm-hmm. that, that the idea that, that there's such a, a pressure, especially if you're middle class, I, I would say, because they're the pressure to be uh, professional. Mm-hmm. and successful in in quotes cuz you know the definition is so so amorphous yeah. um supersedes any sort of understanding of how much richness isn't just about money and security isn't just about insurance policies and, yeah um and so i'm just curious to know a little bit about your story and how you came to to be able to embrace so uh, a couple of very uh, influential pieces in my life is are that I grew up in Europe. Oh. Um, so at age six, uh, I was born in New Jersey. My parents were from England, uh, new immigrants. My brother, who's two years older than I am, was born in London. And so moving to Europe, uh, living in Switzerland as an as a an, uh, six-year-old, um, and then also moving to Belgium, living in Europe until I was 14, had a huge influence on my sense of community. Uh, I also went to a very progressive school in Belgium called the British School of Brussels, which was based on uh, the model of, of I think it's A.S. Mills, um, who started Summerhill, Summerhill, which, which was based on the idea that children have innate learning abilities and that uh, teachers are there to sort of midwife the learner inside of yeah. the child. Um, you know, you see this in Montessori, you see it in in uh, the Wardoff schools, mm-hmm. and so from. Eight to fourteen, I you know was at a school that embraced creativity. We had first names with our professors. Mm-hmm. All of my professors, or I guess our teachers, um, were basically hippies. Um, so you know, this is the mid seventies, and uh, we had open campus policy. There was a bar on campus. Um, you know, lo- lots of creativity. I also had a learning disability. I'm dyslexic, and so I thrived in that environment because mm-hmm. um, my teachers could recognize that. You know, I had a lot of creativity. My mother also was a occupational therapist. So mm. we lived in the woods in Belgium. I did not grow up with television. Mm. Um, so we did crafts and, you know, theater and, and um, had to entertain ourselves. Mm. Right. And, and, you know, going hiking in the woods or going to the farm with my milk churn to get milk from, from the cows, from the, the you know, so that's in. So m- moving here was, was an absolute, disaster for me Mm. um and uh, my brother again who was older chose to conform but i just couldn't do it Mm. and um i got highly ostracized in school Mm. and a lot of bullying um but i was able to hold on to something Mm. that i knew to be true um and that's how I think I have um, never conformed. I, I, you know, I never even tried because uh, when I moved here, we moved to Princeton, New Jersey, in 1978. Mm-hmm. Extremely waspy, very sort of um, oppressive to me, and um, 
like I said, my brother chose to conform and is still conforming um and that's mm. his path and and I'm still n- unconforming and <laughs> um and I think that's given me this this ability to say you know wait a minute I don't ascribe to these values yeah. um I I don't need to you know succeed in the way that society has told me and you know and it, you know as a young person it was extremely painful right and you know not I did not do well at school um, here because you know unlike in the progressive school where they had space for a learner like me coming here you know um, there was no room for somebody who was not good at the SATs not good at standardized testing Um, in fact I was so bored in class I think a lot of my teachers thought I was probably learning disabled Um, but I just sat in the back and you know read Russian novels and had this whole other world yeah. uh, and and so you know again looking back um to you know it's kind of a long answer but I think it's it's an important answer and you know and I've even had students ask me how did you become how you are because I'm such an unusual teacher you know and I say to them well I I couldn't do well in in the school system and yeah. and so why would I teach to try to reproduce a school system that basically labeled me as as you know uh, a failure right um so what do you do differently in the classroom now as a teacher um i think it would be a shorter answer would be what do i do the same but i but (laughs) um i mean the whole premise of my class is it's a a learning journey for the student it's not about me um it's i create a context in which they can find themselves. They can find a piece that they have lost. I mean, I believe the school system, you know, year after year dismantles students' self-esteem, dismantles their creativity, dismantles their, their individual gifts to the point where, you know, I can have a class full of seniors at the University of Connecticut and I can ask them, you know, let's talk about climate change. Let's talk about, what do you guys think? And get absolutely no response whatsoever. They have lost, you know, and I always tease them. I was like, if you were fifth graders, I would have 70 hands up. Yeah. Right. What has happened to you? Right. And do you ask? Oh yeah. Oh Oh, yeah. No, I, you know, I want them to see themselves through a critical lens that they have lost something. Or even as some students say, you know, the school system stole my creativity. I want it back. Right. And, and that's a very powerful realization for them, you know, mm-hmm. and we often do activities of like, you know, let's go back to when you were five or six or seven mm-hmm. or eight, right? What did you care about? What made you excited? You right. know, how did you experience life? Where is that person? Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and turning my class into, uh, you know, I mean, the, it's a very popular word now, unlearning. Yeah what they have learned, you know, how to be a student, right? Being a student in this culture means being obedient, doing what you're told, delivering the deliverables, getting the rewards, you know, the strokes. And I'm like, I'm not going to stroke you. You know, you know, I have a, I have rubrics. I have a way that they Mm self-evaluate, you know, I don't give tests. I don't create stressful situations because I think stress actually, and you know, it's not even opinion of mine. Stress actually does reduce your intelligence it shuts down the frontal you know lobes and and puts you know your your sort of reptilian brain in into high alert um and and we create the most stressful environments imaginable and then expect students to do their best work yeah yeah. all right and then punish them if they don't which then adds further stress uh i mean you know the the students of today are the most depressed and anxiety ridden that they have ever seen, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously we haven't always been yeah, recording, I mean, I, but self-reported, right? And, and well, so not just self-reported. I, well, I'm, I, yes, that they're self-reporting, yeah. but also like I'm friends with the, 
um, psych, head of the psychology services or whatever they call it at UConn, and who's telling me statistics at UConn and elsewhere that how much suicide yeah. there is in, 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 in college now and how it's just spiked. I mean, when yeah. I say self-reported, a lot of the yeah. statistics require that you go right. to the, you, to the exactly. mental yeah. health or seek help. That's so there are a lot more who are not seeking help, you right. know, who in my office or other professors' offices will, you know, confess that they're yeah. depressed or they're this or they haven't done their work or they haven't been out of bed all day or, right. you know, and so, you know, you, I mean, you know, we are beholden to say, you know, you need to go seek help, but not all of them will, right? right? So, you know, I think the incidences of depression and anxiety are much higher than we have reported right mm -hmm. um and so you know asking well what what is going wrong yeah. um and you know why is this rather than you know trying to to treat the symptoms right yeah. we you know we send them off to to go get therapy go get medication da, 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 rather than say wait a minute yeah. there is something totally wrong yeah. not only with the education system but with with the culture in which we have created where they are isolated and and they're not being held in community where they feel secure where they can ask deep questions mm -hmm. you know they it's all about individualized success you're either successful or you're a failure right, right? this is uh, so much that you're saying i mean again like the last time we spoke i have this feeling like we're not gonna have enough time <laughs> to have the whole conversation that i want to have with you which is great a great feeling um in a certain way yeah um but part of so a few thoughts one is i've said to people young people that are my students and elsewhere like the the idea of being if you're feeling like there's something wrong with you because you're not well adjusted what are you trying to adjust to? Mm -hmm. And maybe it's actually a sign of some resilience in you that you're not oh, yeah. adjusting. Yeah. And that the the system that you're in needs to change. So and I was saying to you, you know, as we were getting ready to record and we're just catching up for a second, um, that I'm feeling about teaching myself like, okay, I'm gonna give it one more year. Because really what I'm up against is how is exactly the stuff that you're talking about. And maybe maybe you have some tips for me that we can go into it, mm -hmm. not necessarily during this podcast, but um, you know, I don't I'm I'm trying to create an atmosphere where they can be creative and they can speak about what they're trying to figure out without having to have the answers and I have them I give them a, 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 an evaluation at the beginning of the, sem uh, the semester s with several um, categories of, of, I don't even want to use the word performance, but mm -hmm. are they taking risks? Are you, you know, are you showing up to class? Those, I mean, yeah. there's the basic, basic yeah. things, um, less about, um, you know, the, the outcomes and then, then the engagement mm -hmm. and, um, and then giving them the opportunity to report to me which of these things do they think will come easily, which will be hard. And if there's any details about themselves, they want me to know. And ultimately saying, what are you aiming for in this class? Because I'm considering my role to assist you mm -hmm. in getting there. But ultimately it's as much as I've done, it's still not anywhere near enough to break through this idea that, that there have been conditioned to come in with, which is what does she want? How can I quickly get it yeah. to her and move on? Because so much of my life is is about jumping through hoops at this point. Mm -hmm. And there's some place I want to get with my life. They're not. They haven't lost ambition. No. But but uh, agency is is completely not even on the table. It seems so. Yeah. And this is and to me this feels so relevant around this issue of climate change because you know I, like the whole the idea of poverty of priority i don't even know really what the right term is i can't mm -hmm. quite get to it but a possibility mm -hmm. of of you know rather than setting up your life you know like in the way that we've been taught to expect is the only way which is you p partner off with somebody and you get a big house and then you mm -hmm. maybe have children but you you know you start accumulating um and rather maybe setting up a lifestyle where you have a community house or you know yeah. you you figure creative ways to have more people close to you and um less overhead so to speak. yeah um which you know just isn't isn't part of what gets held up as as success but there i mean there are evidences of 
Can you say evidences? Yes. Sure, why not? Yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> of changes. I mean, millennials are moving to cities. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not learning to drive. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so there are changes uh, where um, young people are saying, you know, I, I do want more time right. as opposed to money, or I do want to live in community as opposed to an isolated big house. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, slow. Um, I had my students in my uh, sustainable societies read a book called The Cultural Creatives. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's based on 14 years of social research looking at people's values. Mm -hmm. And they sort of create three categories, the traditionalists, the modernists, and the cultural creatives. And, you know, basically cultural creatives are people who value the environment, women's rights, social justice, uh, community over, um, you know, profit. And mm-hmm. and there's a, a significant shift, and, and it's actually um, quite inspiring that um, although you know one may feel like I said you know sort of doom and gloom and that it's all it's all bad news that you know there are you know the increase in nonprofits I mean nonprofits is the largest sector that is growing mm-hmm. um, you know more young people are saying you know I want to go into social entrepreneurship I want to go into a nonprofit mm-hmm. I want to do something meaningful mm-hmm. um, and you know and even if they are going into the corporate world um, you know my goal is if they've had me they're going in with a critical framework. They're going in with the ability to say, hmm, you know, maybe putting profit above everything is is not the best idea, mm-hmm. certainly not for the long term. Um, I mean, and even just having tools about how to speak up for yourself if there's something unjust happening in your workplace mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But earlier you had said, I want to make sure we didn't skip something because you said there was two things that were formative for you. And you talked about... Um, growing up in Europe, was there a second? Um, having a learning disability, oh, okay. of being dyslexic, mm, okay. yeah, and not being able to succeed in right. the existing s- testing system, right? And so, you know, that's why I don't give tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I I always allow my students a second chance. Or if they write their paper, they can always rewrite it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, you know, I have multiple ways that they can. Uh, create their grade. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I frame it that they create their grade. I don't give it to them. Mm-hmm. They create it and I basically witness it. Oh. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, all of these pieces change uh, one's relationship to one's learning. As I, as I always say to them, I can't learn you. Right. Learning is is a very personal um, experience that you have to choose to do. Right. right? You can I can give you lots of information and you can reject it. Mm. Um, And that's, you know, that's part of of your agency. But, you know, if you choose to reject it, then ask yourself, why are you rejecting it? And what are you protecting that you have decided is an integral part of your identity, given that identity is actually a social construct, right? And, and, you know, so it's, it's, it's a lot of peeling back. And, and, you know, when you were talking about your teaching situation, you know, I, I have a slight advantage in that because I'm teaching sociology, you know, I get to offer them readings that almost prove to them that what I am saying and doing is right. is correct. Um, for example, we start off, and you you know might want to start off with a you know a couple of readings on learning. Mm. Right? I have every class mm. read a, uh, at the beginning of the semester a few key readings on how people learn and the fact that you know grades actually reduce learning. Mm. Um, uh, they reduce risks. They reduce right. your creativity. They reduce your collaboration, um, and basically they make you stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's wonderful for them to read that and then, you know, have them say, well, is this true? Did you used to be more intelligent? And, and, and most of them say, yes, when I was younger, I was much more intelligent. Now I just look for the easy. I look for the answer. I give the professor exactly what they want, Mm -hmm. whether it's what I think or not, Mm -hmm. because I want the grade. And I was like, okay, 
if you're doing that, at least know that that's what you're doing and know that you're being strategic about it and that you are making conscious choices, you know, versus I didn't even realize that that's right. Right. I mean, there's a very different place. And so maybe your students would benefit from a little critique of the existing way that they've learned so that when you say, hey, you know, I, you know, think about this and, you know, question and, and go more and go more deeply into your learning process, mm-hmm. you can then say, as, you know, Alfie Cohen says, the, right. the education theorist who, you know, has done all this research. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in. If okay. You will send me links. To, I can send you all kinds of things, of things, and I will I will read stuff, and I will also provide it for listeners if they're interested in in our show notes, because I mean, it's it's. Uh, well, we then have it, a lot of we have a lot of evolving to do as yeah. a species. So yeah, and it I'm the nice thing about having key readings is it 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 takes it away from being a struggle between you and the student, right? right? It's not this professor wants me to do this and I don't want to. It's like, well, look, you know, and I, I, I like to refer to the, the readings, you know, and the authors like, you know, uh, they're kind of like witnesses or, you know, and it's like, so, you know, as witness Cohen says, or uh, we read a section from a book called, Drive by Daniel Pink, which is on that, you know, carrots and sticks actually don't work. Um, People are not motivated when you punish them. Mm -hmm. Um, They're motivated actually for lower level um, cognitive skills like shelving. If you, you know, tell people at Walmart, if you shelve faster, faster, we'll give you an extra penny. But you tell an artist, I'll give you an extra dollar for more paintings and their ability to paint just completely falls to pieces because Mm -hmm. that's not how the creation of process works right you know and so again i you know you're telling the students you know i'm gonna i'm removing the the carrot and the stick so that you can have space to be creative Mm -hmm. just as as daniel pink has shown i mean i've i've wanted to go in and just say them all look at the end of the semester you're all going to get an a yeah but but that doesn't work it doesn't work either because they they're still in that paradigm yeah and so you have to deconstruct the paradigm and so that they have it deconstructed for themselves right. in their own mind. Yep, that's a really right? good point. So tell me more. Okay, so you came back here. You went to school here. It was like all, you know, just enduring it. And then what happened? Um, then I fortunately graduated from high school, which was, you know, not a guaranteed because, right. uh, like I said, I, I did not do very well. Um, I took a year off and went back to Europe by myself. My aunt and uncle lived in England, so I spent some time with them. And then I did a U-Rail where you buy a, a railroad ticket and you can go through all European countries for a month or two months. And, and I worked in Paris and I did you know a lot of things that were important for me to remember who I was before I moved to the United States. And um, I got very stuck on my body size. I grew when I was 14. I was the same height I am now. I was five, six uh, and a half. And I've always been muscular or big and um, not necessarily fat. But um, comparatively speaking, in in, uh, 1970s, 80s wasp land, I was... There is not a woman who doesn't feel like she's not too big. Yeah, so I I had a lot of body hatred, and going back to Europe was somewhat helpful um, to see a a different value system Mm. in terms of, you know, I'm not girly girl. I never was, Mm. um, and that was another piece. There was no space for masculine-looking women uh, of the age of... 17 and 18 and so a lot of my struggle um was projected onto self-hatred and so you know moving back to europe for a year you know helped a little bit to to try to figure out well i'm not american you know and i i do have Mm -hmm. a british passport as well Mm -hmm. as you know you know and so that was sort of rebuilding a sense of identity but uh, you know i came back i went to hampshire college um only for a year i went there for two years okay (laughs) Okay. What, what year did you go there um, it was 1988 and 1990. Okay, I was there in 19. 
83 to 4, I think, okay. or 4 to 5, something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that I thought that that would be my place, mm-hmm. um, you know, because it's for those of you who don't know, there are no grades right. and, um, you know, you do projects instead of exams right. and, design and design your own major yeah. and this, that, and the other. And um, there were pieces that I really liked, but there were pieces that I did not like. I was... Uh, one of my struggles again with um for lack of a better word alternative youth hippies that i got involved in is i never did drugs mm-hmm. um and so i was a very weird hippie mm-hmm. um or a very freak as we were called in high school we were the freaks and yeah, yeah. um and i was a very studious person i really liked to to intellectual rigor and um hampshire would have worked really great if if the youth had more training on how to be free, mm-hmm. but a lot of them didn't know how to be free, and so going from high school to Hampshire College was was a lot of flaky, <laughs> yeah. you know, a lot of let's yeah. just party and pretend we're doing work, mm-hmm. um, and let's just BS our way around, and and I was um, so offended by that I ended up becoming a born again Christian. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I left Hampshire and went to Rutgers. Huh. And uh, that, you know, I I met a, uh, I had a boyfriend at Hampshire, and which began my journey to becoming a born-again Christian. And, you know, it's kind of one of those ironic things of where there was no, you know, there was so much um, freedom. And, you know, my parents were atheists. I was not raised in any kind of belief system, although, you know, we did sort of symbolic Christmas and symbolic Easter and stuff yeah. like that. And, um, but what I was looking for in Christianity was a, a system of ethics. You know, I was a, a very committed to concepts of justice. And so when I read the Gospels for the first time, you know, this idea that, you know, there is righteousness and there, you know, that you should give your stuff away and serve mm-hmm. the poor and, and you should not judge. And, you know, and so I was hugely influenced by the teachings of Jesus mm-hmm. and um, decided, you know, this was my path and this, you know, I even got adult baptized and, you know, as wow. um, but as soon as I did that, um, then came, you know, the, the, the religious oppression, mm. then came the, you know, this is what you need to do. This is how you do it. You know, you can't do that. Um, and I just was in hell. Mm. Uh, I was so miserable. I cannot even describe it, yeah. you know, because, you know, what felt like this great liberation, you know, to, to serve, the world yeah. turned into, you know, now your job is to go and and save everybody from the fires of hell, and and I right. and it felt like how how is that my responsibility? How can I take on the burden, you know, of my mother's soul, of my father's soul, of right. my, you know, and um, and how how could um the concept of ethics be so rigid that there really are the saved and the unsaved right. for all time and all eternity. And, and so I was a terrible Christian. Mm. I was m- miserable. Um, and well, it's sort of like you found this great hope and then it, it's sort of like a, you know, a relationship that starts out feeling like it's going to meet all your long unmet needs. And then, Start turns out to be abusive. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that that's an, a nice way to put it. And um, you know, I I would walk out of church just crying because mm-hmm. I was so tortured by the fact that that the world was that simple, mm-hmm. right? That that everything was cl- as clear cut as as um, the teachings made it seem yeah. right um what went from you know very amorphous to you know love your neighbor became you know there are good people and bad people and the good people are saved and the bad people are you know and and i'm like N- how it, it can't possibly be that simple so then how did uh, what changed for you um i started to read zen buddhism and oh. and um for for me the uh 
I was driving because I commuted to Rutgers and, and I was driving home and I had just read uh, an introduction to Zen Buddhism by T.J. Suzuki. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was talking about this little saying, you know, to, to point to the moon, a finger is used, but woe to the man who for, mistakes the finger for the moon. Okay. And it was like I had mm -hmm. I had my 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 second conversion okay. um and i suddenly realized that christianity was a finger and right. and i was i was done oh. um and wow. so i walked away and and although they they tell you you know there's a line in the in the in one of the gospels that you know the 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 hottest fires are sort of reserved for those who have known yeah. you know the lord right. and walk away yeah. um but i i you know, found my inner strength, and I mm. said, "This, I, this is not for me. I can't. I wow. can't." Um, and I've never, ever gone back. Really? I mean, uh, that's. I mean, I could see a story going similarly, but instead moving away from that particular brand of Christianity yeah, yeah, to no, something no, 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 more liberal. No. Or, oh yeah, no, yeah. I was, yeah. I was completely done. Uh, mm. You know, and it's it's as I look back, it's the best experience I ever had because mm. I have a very um, high intolerance for groupthink, mm. um, which is extremely important on, on any level, whether it's the left, whether it's the right, whether it's, um, you, know, you know, climate change movement, and yeah. this is how we're going to be. And, the, you know, the minute um, the, the, the walls start to go up around how it should be and who we are and, you know, who's saved and who's not saved yeah. and who's living sustainably and who's not, right. uh, you know, right. and, um, you know, and, and who should be killed because, you know, they're wasting resources, yeah. you know, and I, I'm sort of joking, but they're, they're, you know, you can see the same pattern over and over again. There's, um, I, I had a conversation with the woman who's the director of the Connecticut Coalition for Environmental Justice mm -hmm. about what some of the stuff that she was up against around, uh, um, the, there was a time when they were trying to decide about, uh, uh in the legislature about, I, I'm trying to, the words are like escaping me. Let me think. They were trying to decide about the power plant, which was causing, there's a coal fired power plant in Bridgeport. And it, it's causing terrible, terrible, life-threatening for some people, asthma. asthma. Mm -hmm. And um, and this coalition um, was fighting to get uh, it shut down. Because they're, they're number one, you know, they're number one, shut this down. And the, the proposal on the table was um, to replace it at, with the quote-unquote bridge fuel of fracked natural gas. Um, and, of course, all of the more privileged... Um, environmental activists are fighting against that. Mm -hmm. And so it was putting these two groups who are in the end on the same side at, in competition, in an argument with each other, yeah. basically. And I don't know why I just went to this because you were saying something that, do you know why this connects? Um, maybe <laughs> in, if, you know, in terms of, oh, you know, oh, putting up walls right, and, right. and, you know, if you become completely convinced that, you know, fracked gas is the worst thing, and, yeah. you know, and won't have any concessions or compromise that, well, fracked gas, if, yeah. if you're uh, a low income inner city Bridgeport resident and your two kids have asthma as a lot of African-American and Latino urban dwellers do have, yeah. um, you should be able to say, well, you know, frack gas is the lesser of two evils right. until we come up with, with another alternative. Yeah. And, um, I think, you know, rigidity of any kind is, is problematic. Yeah. And the, you know, the ability to, to constantly reflect and ask, you know, is, is, is this, you know, always right? Is this always true? And if not, you know, it's sort of like anti-abortion. I mean, you know, the idea that, that, you know, obviously nobody necessarily loves abortion, right. but, you know, to say that it's always wrong, you know, it's like, you know, well, what about if yeah. you're, you know, if the, your father is the father of your child? What about, you know, if you're raped by, you know, yeah. some in, in war, whatever, yeah. you know, uh, and so the, the inability to, 
to be intelligent in the moment based on what what is this situation yeah. right now and that what for me what being a born again took away mm. my ability to navigate yeah. a, a human being you know, based on what are you, what are your needs right now, Amy? Maybe you know your need is not for me to break out the Bible and 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 lecture to you of why you should accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Mm-hmm. Maybe all you need right now is me to listen, right? right. right? And you know, or you know, or and that's what Zen gave me. It gave me this idea that there is no answer. Mm-hmm. Right there, you know, and the the more you try to pin it down, the the you know the road to hell, you know, is paved with good intentions. You know, I mean, I repeat that to myself yeah. all the time. I think that this goes right to the core of something that's becoming clearer and clearer to me around thinking it, trying to put my mind on the subject of climate change, mm-hmm. which is that um, the part of the struggle of keeping your mind there is that it looks like so tragic and so intractable you know and there's so much lined up against really doing smart things about how we care for our world and and all the destruction that's that we're basically on the path to create is it's it's very overwhelming and you can come to a place where it's like i don't even want to put my mind here i don't feel like i can do anything about it Mm -hmm. and blah 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 so this is i think that maybe it's Maybe it's common. I'd love to hear if others have this experience, but you go through a phase of grief and then a phase of back and forth. Like I'm thinking about it all the time and I should be thinking about it all the time and I don't want to think about it at all. And ultimately what I keep coming back to is something that you're saying in my own words comes to living in the gray area, which Mm. is that, and it's also very personal in that, you know, you were trying to respond to this huge thing as an individual and you know there's so many steps that we have to take and some and 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 they start out as baby steps and um ultimately i'm coming to the conclusion that uh, something about like i have to feel the feelings as they come up but i also have to let go of trying to find an answer that will make me stop feeling bad about this Mm -hmm. because um there isn't going to be one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And there isn't, I think that like, as people fight about what needs to be done and no, this is most important. That's most important. You know, it's sort of like it's, it comes, it looks to me like a lot of people trying to stop feeling bad about it. Whereas there's lots of great things that could be done. And all you got to do is just start doing them. <laughs> yeah, and there, there's lots of great opportunities. I and mean, some of them, and you have to be okay with baby steps. Like I just want to add, um, like we're talking about community. This is a place where, like we last time we spoke, I think I was getting caught in this place of thinking about how, you know, this was coming. It looked like it was coming easily to you, and you had set up your life so you could be in the center of community and be part of making this awesome organization that's doing something good. And it looked like, Oh, you've got a a way out of feeling bad about this. And which is of course not true. I'm sure (laughs) it's not true. But, but for me, it was like, what's wrong with me? I'm, I'm so isolated and I need to force myself and blah, 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 blah. Ultimately I let go of it. And lately just been like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And that is, I want to do this. I'm excited about, figuring out what I can grow in my art. And it's leading me to relationships that feel more organically grown. Mm. Um, It's a little like the quote that you have on one of your cards. mm. You know, what the world needs is not, you know, experts or, but people who are passionate about where they are. Yeah. I think we Um, this came up last time. Maybe, you know, but uh, you know, I, again, I say to my students, you know, there is no way for you to be an activist other than to be yourself. Mm. I find what you care about. I mean, you know, it's not about, you know, you being like me or, you know, you should go and create a nonprofit as well, you know, or you have to come and volunteer at mine or, you know, it's like, find what, what your piece is. Right. Right. And I think again, you know, going back to our, you know, an earlier topic of, you know, how to get students to, to step away from the one size fits all model of, mm-hmm. you know, you need to get these grades, you need to get that job, you know, da, 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 right. da, you know, and it's like, you know, helping them find, you know, 
what they're called to do. And I, I do feel people have gifts and callings mm-hmm. and, and passions and, you know, they get lost. And, right. you know, and if we had a world of people who were connected with their passion, um, I think different choices would be made. Yeah. I think really messed up choices are made by people who have shut off, you know, their hearts or yeah. shut yeah. off, you know, their creative selves and who have bought into uh, a paradigm that, that oppresses them and therefore uh, creating more oppression is what sort of justifies the choices that they have made. Mm. Right. So, you know, you're not going to celebrate, you know, um, somebody else's freedom if you yourself are making a, a choices that oppress you. All right. And, and so, right, you know, right. right. I mean, jealousy, so, jealousy yeah. comes from people who are not in touch with who they are. I, I that point you just made, I just want to make sure it was I, I got it. But it took me like two seconds after you said it for it to click. Okay. And I think it's worth slowing down and okay. dwelling on for a second is that the idea of you can't celebrate somebody else's freedom when you yourself are feeling oppressed. Yeah. So, and so you can't, you know, celebrate, you know, the singing bird, mm-hmm. you know, because you're, you're so closed off yeah. from your own song. Right. right. And, and so you get out your rifle and you shoot that bird. <laughs> Right, and then you stick it on your wall, right? Mm. Because you want the song and you want what that bird has, but you can't get it unless you create it within yourself. Right. And so when we look at what our culture is doing to the planet, and and I'm very strong on this with my students, this is not a human species issue. This right. is a cultural issue. This mm. is an issue that is based on a constructed view of the world that comes out of, you know, uh, particular ways of of doing religion of doing philosophy and you know at the moment they happen to be embodied in what we refer to as western culture but this you know all humans have not looked at the bird out the window and gone you know i want to blow your head off they've looked at brother bird your song is is so beautiful i'm going to sing with you right i mean humans have had all kinds of relationships with this planet and most of them for 99% of our of our history have been somewhat harmonious you know i mean there's been you know moments where you know i mean i i think it's really important to always remember you know when when humans arrived in australia they basically wiped out all the big mammals mm-hmm. um you know and part of the theory of that is you know those big mammals had not been evolved with humans and so did not fear them and so we're just you know kind of sitting there and yeah. you know and there are lots of examples i mean easter island wiped themselves out i mean humans have wiped themselves out in small scale um, but there also have been cultures that have been extremely resilient, right? Of the, you know, indigenous people who still exist, you know, in practices and f- beliefs that that work, yeah. right? And so, you know, when we're looking at climate change and, and at our culture, we say, well, what are what are the beliefs that are making us feel, uh, you know, separate from, afraid of, and in need of controlling what is essentially our life source, right? And even, you know, and I'm just going to pick on you, Amy. I mean, even when we use the word, you know, our world, Mm. right? It's not, it doesn't actually belong to us, right? You know, but, you know, and I I mean, our culture loves to talk about it as as our, you know, our world and our planet and our, you know, and it, you know, and in our language, in our grammar, that sort of means ownership rather than um, from, right? You know. Yeah, I mean, I think like my mother, like, like, I don't mean that in terms of ownership. No, I know you you personally don't, but there is an element in our culture where yeah. we feel that this planet that, that belongs to us, nature, right? With association as ownership. Yeah, yeah, and that you know, that and even you know, our creation story yeah. says God gave it to us, right? right. right? God, you know, God gave Adam. You know, the you know, and we're in charge of it. We're in charge. <laughs> you know, we have dominion, and 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 right. we are acting like um, those who have dominion rather than partnership. I, I, one thing I want to follow up on is the idea of oppression and, and the idea of internalized oppression, which we didn't talk about, but, but just to, to add a little layer to what you were saying earlier about feeling oppressed and therefore those, those, those feelings of wanting to control and mm-hmm. possess um, take over. And I think that, it's the idea of oppression can be very confusing to people. And um, I want to just have it be in the picture that a lot of oppression shows up as feeling bad about yourself because of 
a constructed idea mm-hmm. of what you think you're supposed to be. Absolutely. So for instance, feeling bad about your your body size, mm-hmm. the size of your bones. I've, I've, I have had these times when I've been like, how is it possible that I feel bad about my bones? Mm-hmm. My bones are too big? Like, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, um, you know, the, even independent of what, what's laid on top of them that I feel bad about too, yeah. you know. But, if, but right down to the core that it can be like that. That's... That whenever there's something like that, it's, there's an oppression at work. Um, and I think for men, um, uh, there's, there's an invis- the, 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 it gets confusing, especially for white men, that there's any oppression at all. And there is. It's, it, it isn't that there's another group of humans oppressing you, but um, um, there's an there's ideology. A, there is a ideology, right? There is a m- oppression of men that says you and it, and it looks like it's very seductive because it looks like it's saying you're the smarter and the stronger and you're responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it then says is, and so therefore you don't get the luxury of having feelings. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get the luxury of being vulnerable mm-hmm. um, or saying, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and you have to prove yourself. You're not a, actually, actually you're not even a man unless you, yeah. Prove like so the so the very core identity is oppressed because you have to earn it in that case. Yeah. And so, you know, it, I, it all kind of in a way trickles down on all of we're all oppressed by that same oppression. We're all not a man. Well the, you know? the a nice term it is hegemonic masculinity, sort of this idea of the dominant narrative of masculinity as defined in Western culture to which no male can ascribe right can can meet because it's it's sort of mythical mm-hmm. um or godlike yeah. and the more you try to meet it um the more you have to sort of chop off parts of yourself right. and that chopping off then yeah. you know i believe encourages you uh into cruelty and oppression of others mm-hmm. right as you know and and so we we see this you know very clearly in the class structure right where you know working class men um and particularly working class white men you know are are in need of of racism are in need of sexism to affirm their masculinity in relation to upper class or middle class white men, you know, who have economic power that they can wield and Mm -hmm. prove that they, you know, are, are the dominator. Whereas, you know, all you have is your truck. Mm -hmm. So you got to put big wheels on it. You got to like put a big muffler on it. You know, you've got to spit, you've got to, you know, you've got to do performative masculinity to compensate for the Mm -hmm. fact that you don't actually have any social power. Mm -hmm. Maybe you work at Walmart, maybe you don't work at all. You know, maybe you, you know, you're a construction worker and you, you know, maybe you're illiterate, but you, you've got to, to perform um, ways, and this is where I see Donald Trump is absolutely mm-hmm. tapping into this white masculinity that is actually so disempowered mm-hmm. um, in very bizarre ways, yeah, right? It's yeah. it's empowered by, you know, we still have white racism, we still have, you know, a patriarchy, but it's disempowered in, in sort of, in or a poverty of spirit, right? There's this difference between force and power. Yeah. <laughs> and real power is not about how you can force. Yeah. You know, power, that's more about how you can be mm-hmm. and, and connect and inspire maybe. Yeah. So unfortunately, I personally am running out of time. Yeah. This has been so, so great. I, I mean, I feel like we could do a 24 hour. One. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anything more you'd like to add? I think just, you know, just for a wrap up with, you know, since I mentioned Donald Trump, it's just an, you know, it's an interesting piece as we talk about climate change, you know, that, you know, obviously he's, he's in the climate change and all whatever, you know, and I don't necessarily think Donald Trump himself believes what he says. Uh, a lot of what he's doing is, is performance. Um, and, you know, but I, I, you know, as we, you know, continue into social collapse, uh, you know, fascism is on the horizon. And, or, you know, and I, I even wrote an article many years ago, you know, the United States has always been fascist. It's just been strategically fascist, fascist against yeah. minorities, fascist in, you know, in this 
area, but not over there. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's never been uh, an, an entire fascistic system, but certainly our foreign policy has, you yeah. know, great strains of fascism. Uh, you know, and it's just interesting to see as this is playing out, you know, I think this is as much a part of the climate change drama and the sustainability drama, you know, where we see Bernie and and Trump representing, you know, the, the, the fear and the hate life force and the anger life force and Bernie, the anger, but the sort of the regenerative life force. Um, And, you know, and all the spaces in between. And, you know, I'm fascinated to see, how yeah. it'll how it'll play out yeah mm. me too yeah i'm scared too <laughs> but i am fascinated and it, it, you know i'm not in the in the camp of um some people are saying i just if if trump becomes president it'll be good because it'll bring it all out on the surface i'm like well, you know it'll be bad for a lot of people if, yeah if, but the fact that we have come to a place where the conversations that are happening in the mainstream media about sexism and racism mm-hmm. that to me is 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 great to see on and in a way uh, i mean there was a conversation about racism around barack obama um running for president and and now now we're taking it to a new level where it's it's more about what does racism look like on someone rather than yeah. what is it how does it affect you know it just it, it there's something good about seeing white people becoming more literate about what racism looks like when it's being acted out <laughs> yeah and to see the republican party trying to yeah separate itself or embrace or you know it it, it, i i love the mirroring that that is happening Um, so next time we talk because i never got a chance to ask you but i do want to know how it went because you taught a class on um on the sociology of climate change i think you were just about to teach it okay i spoke so let's just have that be a little teaser for the next time phoebe and i get together because i will try to remember to ask you okay sounds good well thanks for having me thank you for coming Thank you.